Welcome to the Searching for Vitality podcast. Today, Candace and I are talking with Dr. Molly Hayes, who is a functional dentist that specializes in airway and tongue ties at Miboka Dentistry. Her areas of expertise are recognizing the symptoms of sleep disordered breathing, using the Healthy Start Habit Corrector to treat mouth breathing and sleep disordered breathing, and diagnosing and treating infant tongue and lip ties. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into functional dentistry? I would love to. Um, I'm Dr. Molly Hayes. I have been practicing dentistry for almost 10 years now. Um, I'm a Nebraska native. I attended Creighton University and I, um, yeah, I practiced traditional dentistry and it was just about two years ago that I just decided I couldn't do it anymore. And I started looking into um, biological dentistry and uh, the mouth gut connection. And it led me to um, discover that airway health was my true passion. Uh, last year, I became a Healthy Start provider. And that led me to uh, led me down another rabbit hole with tongue ties. And um, that led me to take the, the Breathe Institute course um, to learn how to treat infant tongue ties. And here I am just really making airway health my passion. I'm also a mom. I have four kids um, I, that I homeschool. And so I'm, I'm just so excited to be here in Omaha in this community that you guys are helping to build. Well, it sounds like you're super busy, you know, working, <laughs> homeschooling. It all fits. I'm, um, I'm kind of a 2020 convert. I don't know what to, what to call it. it. That's when I had my great awakening. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I think it was probably around the same time. I feel like that's kind of been the case for a lot of people, which is super exciting that, you know, a lot of people are, I don't know what you want to call it, waking up to a more holistic form of care. You mentioned uh, kind of the mouth and gut connection. Can you talk more about what that is? Yeah. So, you know, it, it makes sense, right? That the mouth is the portal to the rest of the body and that um, there is literally a direct pipeline from your mouth to your esophagus to your gut. And so um, I started seeing people in my practice when I was just practicing traditionally who had um, some pretty severe gut issues. It always correlated to cavities, just rampant decay that happened so quickly. Um, you know, if we're not absorbing nutrients in our gut properly, we won't absorb them in our mouth. And you know, uh, keeping our teeth healthy isn't just about avoiding the bad things. It's also about putting the good things back into our mouth and our teeth. We need to feed them vitamins and nutrients. Um, and so if our gut is not able to absorb that for our body, our teeth are really going to suffer. That starts from the very beginning, right? From when you're born. And, um, you know, I know that I just, what, a week or two ago, I took my son George in and we took him to you for an evaluation. And so I know that it starts from the very beginning with jaw development from a baby and with breastfeeding. It starts from like the very beginning. And I look back on the days when I would recommend to parents that they bring their child in for their first dental visit at age three. And I just cringe. Um, because so much has happened in those first three years of life and dental checkups should be about so much more than just the teeth and checking for cavities. Um, 
breastfeeding, yes, that's the very first thing you can do for your child day one of life is to establish good breastfeeding habits and, and health. Um, and if you can't do that on your own to reach out to um, a lactation consultant or a pediatric chiropractor who can help maybe relieve some tension. Um, and then, you know, as your baby gets older to introduce an open cup as opposed to a sippy cup and to maybe skip all the pureed mush and introduce your baby to some, some tougher foods that will challenge their jaw to grow. Um, you know, pacifier health, um, thumb sucking habits, mouth breathing, tongue ties, all these things we can evaluate for and really get on top of when we see it in the first few months of life. And so I know this is going to sound so crazy, but why not bring in your baby to see a dentist? Um, you know, you'd bring your baby in at two days old and two weeks old and one month and two months to a well check. Um, why not take him to a dentist and we'll talk about all these things. And so a little bit of background with George and I, so he was born and from that golden hour, even from the very beginning, he wouldn't latch. We're in the hospital and then the lactation consultant came in, the nurses who, you know, they recommended were great at getting babies to latch came in and um, nobody could get him to latch. And they're like, well, he's not really losing a lot of weight, so we're not going to worry about it. Like, he'll eat when he's hungry. And I was oh, like, okay. oh. <laughs> I was like, I just want to get out of here. And so it's about two weeks of me pumping around the clock and feeding him with a syringe oh. and um, trying to get him to latch. And we got evaluated lots of different places. Um, I finally was like, okay, I think there's something wrong. And yeah. I was doing all the research and I was like, I think he might have a lip or a tongue tie um, based on the red flags. Um, based on everybody's evaluation, they were like, well, we don't really know if that's what is causing the issue. And it ended up being um, a specialized chiropractor that works in cranial adjustments that ended up figuring out what the issue was with his sacrum which was affecting his head and his jaw and everything. Um, but it took me a long time to even realize just on my own research, what some of those red flags were of when a baby might have a tongue tie or when there's something else wrong. I think yes. a lot of people were trying to be supportive and just mm -hmm. be like, it's okay if you can't <laughs> breastfeed, like you're still a good mom, just maybe it's time to move to formula. Um, but I would love if you could talk about what some of those red flags are that moms can be on the lookout for, for like tongue ties and lip ties, what they are, and then what you can do to fix those issues to make breastfeeding easier. Yeah, absolutely. There's just a laundry list of things to be on the lookout for. And, you know, sometimes these breastfeeding issues, as you just spoke to, um, are multifactorial. And um, sometimes it's a very clear cut tongue or lip tie. You can see it from a mile away. And sometimes like your experience, it's kind of a gray area and we're not sure. Um, and before you go in and release um, the lingual frenulum or the labial frenulum on this brand new baby, you want to be really sure. So, um, you know, some signs to look out for um, mother, mother's symptoms are usually kind of the telltale sign. Um, nurse breastfeeding should not be painful. You know, um, you'll often have a lot of pain. Um, 
sometimes you'll even get like mastitis because um, baby is not effectively uh, sucking out the milk, um, get kind of like a flattening of the nipples. Um, maybe you have like an oversupply or an undersupply, um, oversupply because, um, you know, baby is just feeding all the time because they're never getting full. So therefore they want to latch on maybe every 60 minutes. Um, and so your body just continues to make more and more milk or maybe an undersupply because again, baby's not latching effectively and your body says, okay, I don't need to make as much milk. Um, you know, I think a lot of this acid reflux, you know, reflux symptoms in babies, um, what we call colic might actually be baby is not latching. Well, um, we see it a lot with the lip tie. Um, when the lip kind of has, it kind of curls around the nipple instead of the nice flange, um, a lot of air gets caught and it's actually just like air reflux and baby gets kind of like a distended belly, um, crying all the time. What just looks like gas. Um, if baby is just not getting full or feeling satisfied or falling asleep at the breast, um, these might be some cues to, to have your baby evaluated. Yeah, I think that George had most all of those, you know, I think Candace was over here even a few times when I was nursing and I was just like toe curling pain every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it shouldn't be like that. And I think, yeah. you know, I think a lot of well-meaning providers tell us, you know, just kind of to, to calm us down that it's normal, it's normal. Um, but what I'm learning, you know, with all of this is common does not always equal normal. And I think one of like, one of the main cues that I was able to use to kind of lead me in the right direction, which you didn't mention was lip blisters. So he oh, had yes. really bad lip blisters. On oh, probably oh. like six months of age. That is heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. So he had really bad colic. He couldn't mm -hmm. sleep. He would only sleep on our chest. Oh, it was yes. so sad because you're like, I don't know what's wrong and I don't know what to help my baby. And then you're in pain, but I, you know, after going through everything, I'm so glad we stuck it out because now, you know, we're still, I'm still breastfeeding and it's super easy. And I think there's a lot of benefits into it, but yeah, I think having the resources up front would have been super helpful. So I wasn't this mom that was in postpartum mm -hmm. not getting any sleep and sitting there like searching the internet to try to figure out what was wrong with my baby. I love your story and I love your resilience. And I'm actually meeting more and more women who have that same resilience, which is just so inspiring. Um, and I, I mean, I guess I give a lot of credit to the internet and social media, you know, almost seven years ago, I was the frustrated mom being told in the pediatrician's office, it's okay. Just move on and you can either pump and, and bottle feed or, or formula feed. And, and I was the mom who gave up because I was just tired and I don't know, but thank goodness that we have all of these, you know, wonderful people. And, you know, you guys included who are bringing awareness to do your own research and advocate for yourself or your family members. Like it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to not, believe the opinion of well-meaning providers, you know, um, it's okay to keep searching. I think we probably 
found the sixth person that I went to before I found somebody that actually started to help and make a difference. Not because nobody was trying. It just, it took a while and it took me not giving up to try to find answers um, because it was something I really wanted to do. So I, I'm so thankful that we have you that help spread this awareness and help other, you know, moms that are probably in the same situation that I was in. Yeah, breastfeeding has just so many um, lifelong benefits. Um, I see, I see a lot of kids in my practice. I'm not a pediatric dentist. I think a lot of people think I am, and I'm not. Um, just with the Healthy Start appliance and with the tongue and lip tie release, my um, my clientele is mostly um, under the age of four, and I see it all the time. You know, people, moms who were in my same situation, you know, just decided to give up. Um, when they couldn't find answers, bottle fed. And now we see a lot of children with some pretty severe um, airway issues and, and sleep disordered breathing. So it's, you know, if, if there's a mom out there, if I can just help one mom um, continue that breastfeeding journey for as long as she wants to, so that her child can um, reap the benefits of a healthy open airway, it's totally worth it. Once you identify that there is a lip or a tongue tie, what do you do to treat that? Yeah, in my office, I use the Solea CO2 laser. In my opinion, it is the best CO2 laser on the market. Um, uh, this laser has, you know, it's it's a very clean procedure to release a tongue or lip tie. Um, it's pretty much bloodless. Um, it's it's very fast. Sometimes you can release one of these ties in 30 seconds or less um, so that, you know, we get baby back to mom nursing right away and they can just um, start their new journey right away. So when we were thinking about doing a release with George, I know that there's also they clip them and then they have the laser. So what's the benefits to doing the laser over just surgically clipping it? You know, I've never surgically clipped a tongue tie. So I will just, you know, speak to um, the laser. Um, the, the A lingual frenulum is made up of a lot of fascia. And fascia is a really good thing. It's, um, it's everywhere in our body and encapsulates all of our muscles. It's just everywhere. And fascia is just this very thick, fibrous, um, almost kind of looks like a very um, entangled spider web when you look at it. Um, but if the fascia is too tight, that's when we, we have a problem. And so using that CO2 laser, I'm able to really get into that fascial layer and separate it so that um, it's, it's a complete release. I've seen um, babies come in after they had their tongue or lip um, just clipped with scissors. Um, and I'm sure this is not the case across the board. I'm sure some are fine, but it's just, it's like not enough. Like we needed to get in there, but you couldn't because you were using, you know, scissors. And, um, if it's not enough, you know, you're probably not going to see much of a difference. Possibly the lingual frenulum could grow back. It could grow back worse. Um, so I just, I've been so pleased with the, the Solea laser. I love how, how quick it is. You know, when you're working with a baby, um, you want to get that baby back to mom quick. You don't want to bring baby back with a lot of blood. Um, 
And, you know, the baby really isn't feeling anything through the procedure. That's what I really like about it. We don't have to use any, any local anesthetic with the Salea laser. Um, we just use a little bit of a sucrose solution, um, that kind of let them suck on it right afterwards. And, um, yeah, the results have been phenomenal. Do you recommend any treatment after that? Um, like therapy treatment after that? Oh, yes. I recommend it to every mom. Um, you know, it would be ideal to have pre and post tongue tie release body work um, with somebody who's skilled in that area. So you could see a pediatric chiropractor. Um, you could see like a craniosacral therapist, um, craniofascial therapist, I think, um, just some kind of body work specialist. Ideal to see before and after, but um, that after, I, in my opinion, is probably the most important. Um, we just need to help baby kind of continue to relieve some of that tension. And also following up with a lactation consultant um, is a good idea too. Once you release it, do you typically find that babies immediately breastfeed better or are able to if they weren't before? Or are, is there still sometimes a period of time where they struggle? It's both, yes. So I, I've seen it both ways. Um, you know, most of the time there's some, there's some noticeable difference right away. Um, most moms will tell me it just kind of feels like a, a deeper latch, but, um, you know, after that release, baby has kind of like some new freedom with that tongue that they didn't have before. And so, um, they're kind of relearning how to use their tongue. And so it's, it's generally not perfect right away, which is, you know, why I recommend following up with other providers just to kind of continue to tweak, um, you know, positioning with a lactation consultant and then just working out that tension, um, you know, with a body work specialist. So I tell parents it's not a magic wand, but I'll be honest, most moms, when I text them that night, say it's going really well. That's awesome. Coming from somebody that like struggled for so long, like I, I just can't imagine the relief for those moms to be able to then take their baby home. And I know it must be magical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so too. So you mentioned that you used to recommend that kids come in at three, but now you recommend earlier. So assuming that the mom's able to nurse and is not having any issues, when do you recommend that somebody bring their kid in for an evaluation? I think once you see that first tooth pop in the mouth. So um, some babies will get that first tooth between four and six months, some babies a little bit later. Once you see that first tooth in, um, that tooth can get a cavity. Um, so yeah, we come in, it's a great appointment. Those are my favorite, um, especially, you know, like babies like little George, those appointments are filled with education, um, setting the standard for the child that this is something you're going to do, um, for the rest of your life and to take care of your teeth. And it's just a lot of fun educating and, um, meeting these kids. And I think that sometimes, at least from what I've heard, um, people are like, well, I don't think my kid could really sit through a cleaning. So I'm going to wait till they're older. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like how you brought up that it's a lot about education. And I know when you looked at George, like you were probably looking at his mouth for, it was less than 30 seconds. It was so quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but we talked about a lot of other things that maybe I hadn't thought about in the past. I mean, I need education 
just as much as anybody too. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of value and, you know, having a, a teeth cleaning is, is important, but it's just one piece of the puzzle, um, you know, with lifelong dental health. Um, so maybe your child won't sit still for, um, what we call a hygiene trophy until the age of three or four, maybe even five, but that's okay. Like come bring them to the dentist. Um, it's so much easier to, to catch these things early. Um, we're doing so much more than checking for cavities. We're evaluating the airway. We're talking about diet and some parents just simply aren't aware, um, that they need to pivot in order to avoid cavities. Um, and, and early childhood cavities, it's just, it's an epidemic right now. Um, we really can't keep up with it at Maboka. There's just so many children suffering from, from decay and it's hard to watch your child go through that, getting them fixed. So let's swim upstream. Let's talk prevention. Let's eliminate bad habits, uh, before, you know, things get out of control. What's causing that? Is it diet or other things? It's mostly diet and mouth breathing. What would be your recommendation for diet? Um, I know we talked a little bit about baby led weaning when I was there um, and like whole foods rather than purees, but I'd love if you could expand and share with us your recommendation. Yeah, I think that um, the organic labels have been really misleading um, in the last couple of years. So I guess my best advice, um, you know, first and foremost, just eat like your great grandmother would approve of your diet. You know, like let's get back to really simple foods and making foods at home, um, start a garden. <laughs> um, I did this year and the only thing that really survived were, um, peppers and lettuces, but my kids saw that we get food out of the ground and not necessarily in, you know, the middle aisles of the grocery store. Um, but I know that parents are so busy and we, we've got a lot of families where parent, two parents are working and we live this very fast paced lifestyle. And sometimes we sacrifice nutrition, um, for convenience. That's okay. Um, I would just challenge you to really read ingredients and make sure that all those ingredients in that more convenient, you know, frozen food <laughs> or whatever, um, that you can pronounce everything and that it's, it's simple and don't just look for like the organic label. Guilty of this. And <laughs> we I, all are. I know I've heard Me from too. you and I know I've heard of my pediatrician, but you know, I'm guilty of buying like those puffs because they're so convenient. Oh, but can yeah. you talk about like the negatives to giving your kids like those that you see everywhere, those baby puffs. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was a puff buyer. I used to have like, like not kidding. I used to have like a dozen of those in my pantry, um, with my first child. Um, you know, I think that we give kids snacks kind of in those busy moments, you know, we're busy working moms and like, I just need a minute. Like here's a cup of puffs or Cheerios or God forbid goldfish crackers. Um, it's, it's a hard habit to break. And so I, I come up from a place of no judgment because I used to give my kids all of these things, but you just kind of have to start and you start by going into your pantry and literally throwing them away. It's not wasteful because I've seen what they can do and it's, it's just not worth it. So just go in your pantry, take the puffs and throw them away.
Well, I think even with some of that nutritional, which by the way, I used to eat those puffs because I have two nephews. <laughs> <laughs> They're <laughs> delicious. And low in calories, but right. too, I also thought like there's so many times where, um, like I said, I have nephews or just people in general, and I'm learning this where I thought certain things were healthy. And then you're looking at it and it's like, oh, this is just atrocious. Like, yes. And so um, I'm, like I said, I'm an adult and I found out five years ago, like Velveeta is not a cheese. So then I was like, well, <laughs> then what is it? And I've been putting it in my food along with cream and mushroom with everything. And so I'm like, that's not healthy. And I'm just like, this is just a revelation. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to say, cause I'm sure that's the same way with adults or like, or parents just thinking like, oh, I'm feeding my kids these healthy foods. They're marketing geniuses is the problem is, you know, they can, they can use certain words and um, certain packaging and um, you know, you're, you're just kind of tricked. Yeah. I know for me, it was like, Oh, they're organic. It looks mm-hmm. like they're pretty clean ingredients. Oh, mm-hmm. he's getting exposed to peanut butter, which is an allergen. Like they say, that's a good thing. So I'm getting Checks all the boxes. Food. Yeah. And, but not thinking about, you know, what it's doing to his teeth. I know, but you know, in all fairness, you know, we just, we can't think about everything all the time. We have a lot on our minds, keeping these little humans, um, you know, alive and it's okay. So like I said, I come from a place of no judgment. Um, most people that come in with their kids aren't doing it perfect and that's okay. I don't think anyone can ever perfect so yeah no it's like it's it's the 80 20 rule you know so um you don't have to do it perfect but there are things that are just like on my do not fly list like ever like it's never gonna be part of the 20 percent um and I think everyone knows that I'm like really 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 opposed to goldfish they are just like little teeth decomposers and so if you're if you're gonna choose a snack for your kids that's maybe not ideal. Like, please just don't choose the goldfish. <laughs> Bake cookies for your kids at home. And I mean that, like, I am not anti-carb or anti-bread. Um, my kids and I, we make bread at home, like probably twice a week. Um, but we're making it. Um, I know where the ingredients are coming from. Um, we buy, you know, a, a good quality flour. It's, it's flour, it's salt, yeast, and water. Like, I feel okay about giving them that so you know give your kids a treat every once in a while but make sure that it's worth it another thing I wanted to get your thoughts on are pacifiers so I had done a little bit of research before and um, when I was making up the registry before gorgeous born I didn't put any pacifiers on there because I didn't want to introduce them and I think everybody thought I was crazy and people would be like just get a few you're really going to want them and actually, mm-hmm. we did try them because he was so colicky and he mm-hmm. just spit them out. Um, uh, so thankfully, he's never had a pacifier. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on pacifiers and how they affect jaw development. Yes. Um, general rule for pacifiers is um, if you're if you introduce a pacifier to your newborn and they like it, you're going to want to start weaning at six months. Um, the, the palate is always kind of remolding to its environment. So that's why we talked about breastfeeding is so important because that tongue pressing the nipple to the roof of the mouth really creates that perfectly broad arch. Well, the tongue is also pressing a pacifier to the palate. 
and a pacifier is a much different shape than the the nipple and the breast. And so the palate can actually can and does form around the the tip of the pacifier. And this is when we see the um, really high vaulted palates and kids coming in with really narrow, um, just two small jaws. And we know that the airway is going to follow the suit of the jaws. So if you have narrow, um, undersized jaws, you're going to have a narrow and undersized airway. So plan to wean by six months and really try to have that pacifier gone by first birthday. So kind of along those same lines are cups. So with George, we have tried to do an open cup or a straw, which is somewhat inconvenient because he just likes to jump the water. <laughs> yes, it's so um, messy. Which, you know, that's why I know people use sippy cups, mm-hmm. but I know that you don't recommend them. So can you explain why? Kind of the same thoughts um, as a pacifier, that jo- that palate is forming to whatever is in the mouth. And so most of these sippy cups have that, you know, um, little spout there and the child is pressing their tongue that their tongue is pressing the spout to the roof of their mouth. Um, even like those munchkin 360 cups, which I thought like, this is great. Win, win, no mess. It's doesn't have a spout. That's actually pressing the tongue down into the floor of the mouth, which is also not good. So it's, it's just all about, you know, that tongue and where is it at, um, and an open cup is just ideal so that you don't get that high vaulted palate and those narrow jaws. It's very so, inconvenient. You are right. Are regular straws okay? Or do you recommend an open cup over that? Straws are great. Straws are great. Um, I think it's mushy. I don't, am I saying that right? Mushy or mushy? I love that company. Sure. <laughs> mushy. They make um, a really nice cup that has um, a straw in it and it's also covered. So win-win. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Straws are great. And easy peasy makes a nice little, um, short training straw too. Good to know. I'm going to make a note for myself. Um, yeah. Cause George loves to just, he's so fascinated with water that like he will take a sip out of a cup and then he just loves to like sit there and watch it like dump out. And I was I like, know. Oh, he's going to grow out of it, but it's been like six months and he still loves to do that. Yeah. It, you know what? all my, um, all my kids that I started with an open cup, it was probably like that. I hate to tell you this. It was probably like that until about a year and a half. Um, so that's why I really love that easy peasy cup. It literally holds one ounce of water. Um, it's weighted on the bottom. So like, it's a little bit, just like a little bit harder to spill. Um, and then if they spill it, okay, it's like an ounce of water. So don't try to give them like one of those big, like four ounce cups right away. Start small. So another topic I wanted to ask you about is fluoride. So I remember even being a kid and they did when we were at school, these fluoride treatments. So every day after lunch, they come around with a little cup of fluoride and you use it as your mouthwash, spit it out. Um, And, you know, you always wanted to look for the toothpaste to add the fluoride. Um, But now I've been hearing that fluoride isn't good for you. Can you talk about that and your recommendations for that? Yes. Um, you know, the, the topic of fluoride is, um, kind of come into the spotlight in the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I'm not as much anti-fluoride as I am just pro everything else. Like I, 
I've seen kids who use fluoride toothpaste, had all the fluoride varnishes done at their last dentist, and they still have cavities. So um, can fluoride work? Yeah, absolutely. I just don't believe that the downsides of fluoride outweigh the health benefits. You know, um, fluoride is a neurotoxin. Like you can go down many, many rabbit holes and, and pull a lot of research on this. It's out there. I'm not really a research nerd. So, um, you know, Dr. Stacy Whitman, she's a functional, um, pediatric dentist out in Portland. She, she is just brilliant. And she has, um, spoken a lot on her social media, um, and on her website about fluoride. And you can, you can look her up for all the studies and stuff, but I just don't think that it's worth it. You know, if it's a neurotoxin and it's, harming our nervous system and our brain, I think we can prevent tooth decay in a much safer way. For me, that's using hydroxyapatite in toothpaste. Um, hydroxyapatite is what our enamel is naturally made out of. So it just makes more sense to me to put the mineral that the tooth is composed of back in the tooth. And is there a reason why, or maybe if you know this, uh, why dentists for years recommended to use fluoride? I mean, I think they really thought it was effective. Um, I mean, I used to prescribe fluoride all the time. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could say I was indoctrinated in dental school. Like that was just the accepted truth. The sky is blue and fluoride helps, uh, prevent cavities. And like I said, it, I, I think that fluoride maybe it does do that. Um, but is it worth it? I don't think so. And I think, it, I think for a lot of dentists, it was, um, it was just kind of an easy thing, you know, like, like you were talking about Allison, you just kind of put the foam tray in or slap on the varnish and, and they're good to go. And you can charge a little bit of money for it. What brands of toothpaste have this? Is it the hydroxy? What, what did you say it was? Hydroxy appetite. It's a mouthful to say that, isn't it? Um, so the two brands that I'm most familiar with are Boca and Rise Well. And you can find both of those online. A lot of okay. parents want to know about like, um, you know, maybe some more like natural toothpastes um, that they find like at Whole Foods or a health market. I don't know. Here's, here's my two cents on toothpaste. And I I first heard this from um, Dr. Trino, um, who I work with at Maboka. It's like, you don't need toothpaste. What are you doing with toothpaste? You don't need it. You need the mechanical removal of plaque from your teeth on a consistent basis. Um, and so, you know, I thought it was crazy the first time he said it, but I, I guess I tend to agree with him. Um, so if, if you want to use a toothpaste, I would say go for the hydroxyapatite um, or, or just feel free to skip it and make sure you're using a good quality electric toothbrush um, twice a day. I think it's also hard to change because I've actually heard that before as well, but I'm like, I like the minty fresh. After. <laughs> so that's why. Yes. That's how you I know it's it. clean, right? Yes, that's why I'm like, I need this or else I'm not clean. So <laughs> if your mouth isn't burning and tingling like it's on fire you did it wrong right <laughs> exactly then, I'm, then it's not fresh and it's not perfect right yeah so what I, are your okay. thoughts on mouthwash then too I guess because that is supposed to kill bacteria in your mouth right yes it kills all of the bacteria good and bad so I don't use mouthwash for myself um, or my family 
um, for that very reason. And if you look in the ingredients and in most mouthwashes, you'll, you'll cringe. It's kind of like the first time you look at the ingredients on goldfish crackers, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been putting this in my mouth and probably swallowing a good bit of it. Um, so, you know, our mouth, it's the oral microbiome. There's bacteria, both good and bad, and we need them to be in, in balance. And so if you use mouthwash and you kill everything, you're actually putting yourself at risk for oral disease, which is hilarious, right? Someone I remember reading with mouthwash, it was invented for something else. And like I a floor to- cleaner, I think. Yeah, that's it. I was like, <laughs> I was trying to remember what it was like. I thought it was something so off the wall, like, cleaning. yes, that's it. and I was trying to remember what it was. And I remember being like, I put this in my mouth. Yes. But- but then also Every- again, like I've looked at McDonald's ingredients and I'm like, I put that in my mouth and I know, I know, I know <laughs> it's, it's just an upside down world, isn't it? You talked about sleep disordered breathing. What is that? And what are the effects of that? And then what do you do to treat that? Yeah, this is, um, this is a very dense topic. So you can cut me off if I, if I get up in my soapbox for too long. Um, okay. So sleep disordered breathing, um, it's a, it's a disruption in healthy oxygen flow while sleeping. And both children and adults can have this, but we're observing it mostly in children at our practice. And so when a child has this dip in oxygen while they're sleeping, all these other things happen almost kind of like alarms to wake the body up because the body thinks that it's not getting air. Um, and so some of these symptoms, um, that are the alarms going off, um, teeth grinding, we see kids grinding their teeth down to little nubs, um, bedwetting, um, a lot of kids just can't kick the pull-ups, um, mouth breathing, noisy breathing, tossing and turning night terrors, um, sleepwalking and talking just like generally horrible sleep. And then they wake up and they feel awful because they actually weren't getting into that deep restorative sleep. And so then they walk around like, you know, tired zombies all day with moodiness and they can't focus in school. Um, they're kind of hyperactive, um, just a lot of negative consequences to the sleep disordered breathing. And you asked me how I treat it. Um, like I said, I'm a healthy start provider and I cannot believe how often I, prescribe the healthy start habit corrector. Um, it's a nighttime, almost like a a night guard. Um, it's an, it's a nighttime appliance that helps a child suction their tongue to the roof of the mouth where it belongs while they're sleeping so that they can actively nasal breathe. Yeah. So I actually have a cold right now. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I got it from George, but anyways, so (laughs) The night before last, I was not able to sleep because I couldn't breathe through my nose. And I was like, oh, you know what people feel like who have the worst. issues or, you know, can't breathe through their nose. Mm-hmm. And I was up the night and then I was like waking up from like nightmares where I couldn't breathe. So oh. I imagine having that every single day. It is awful when you, you don't realize how wonderful it feels to breathe through your nose until you have it taken away from you. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of these kids, um, it's, it's the extreme circumstance when they truly can't breathe through their nose. Like they have some kind of, um, nasal obstruction. That's not usually the case. 
usually it's these underdeveloped jaws, high palates that will cause a child to mouth breathe. The mouth breathing makes the jaws and airways smaller. And it's this really vicious cycle that these kids just can't get out of. Well, then you're mentioning kids and I kind of thought um, with the disordered breathing, is it also the same in adults when they're using CPAP machines or struggling to breathe? Do you do the same thing with adults as you do with children or what do you recommend? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, adults can be a little bit less straightforward. So a CPAP is like kind of the end of the road. Like you have severe sleep apnea, which is different from sleep disorder breathing. Sleep apnea is when you just altogether stop breathing. Like you're not breathing through your mouth or your nose. You stop breathing. Like you're dead for a few seconds. And so a CPAP is the intention is to help you breathe. Um, so sleep disordered breathing is thankfully not as severe. Um, so we can treat adults with this nighttime habit corrector. Um, but for adults and their sleep issues, I'm more often than not, I'm saying you need to probably get a sleep study if you feel like you're snoring. Snoring is never normal. And there's different types of snoring in adults. Um, so it, it's always a good idea to figure out the root cause of your sleep issues. And for adults, I'm generally recommending you go get a sleep study. Now, I don't recommend sleep studies for children unless it's very severe. Um, and even then I'm kind of letting an ENT do that um, referral for a sleep study. You know, children, if you think about kids, like, are they going to give you an accurate depiction of their sleep when they go off to a hospital for a sleep study? Like, absolutely not. So um, that's, that's where this Healthy Start appliance has really helped me out is for most kids, we can skip that. And we can, and we can treat just with this appliance, but adults are a little bit trickier. And I hope no adult listening to this ever has to get a CPAP. A CPAP is like a bandaid. It is not addressing the root cause. Like you need to get to the root cause of your sleep issues. How long do kids typically have to use this healthy start appliance before you're able to see improvements and then to the point where they no longer need it? That is such a great question. And it completely depends on compliance. So every child is very different and at different ages, we're going to um, get better compliance. But um, the best cases I've seen is when we bring a child back for their 30 day checkup, we have at least one symptom completely gone. Um, I would say usually the, the report is they're just sleeping longer. Like they're not either they're not waking up in the middle of the night or they're sleeping in a little bit. Like we're getting another hour in the morning and that's wonderful. Um, another symptom that disappears pretty quickly is the bedwetting. So that's best case at that 30 day checkup, we're seeing one symptom disappear. And then we're going to continue to wear that until all symptoms disappear. And for some kids, that's going to take maybe the better part of a year to see all those symptoms disappear. Um, that's why we do a lot of check-ins. We do a 30-day check-in. We do a three-month, a six-month, because then if we're really not seeing results, we need to pivot. And, you know, it's, again, a team approach. Do we need to bring in an ENT to evaluate? Um, do we need to bring in a myologist to evaluate? Um, so we don't just put them in a habit corrector and say, well, good luck to you. We, we're really following these kids and making sure that they're getting better. So I guess I have two kind of follow-up questions for that. Um, one is bedwetting. How is bedwetting connected to mouth breathing? 
it is the body going into fight or flight mode. So the the mouth breathing, which is causing the sleep disorder breathing, is very low quality air. Um, so like O2 sats will probably dip into like, I don't know, maybe the, the 70s or 80s. Um, you want your O2 sats to be at like 99 or 100. And so if you're not getting that good quality air and the body thinks it's suffocating, it goes into fight or flight and it's saying, wake up and breathe. And what's the quickest way to get a kid to wake up is to wet the bed. And most of these kids don't have like perfect bladder control anyways. That's why, you know, adults with sleep issues will typically not have that problem. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a big alarm. The body is very good at surviving and it will do whatever it takes to get that breath of perfect oxygen. And if it has to, um, you know, do that in these extreme ways, it's going to do that. Uh, I used to be a teeth grinder. I don't think I do it much anymore, Um, but I went to one chiropractor once and he said, go ahead and wear something at night, but don't wear anything that prevents you from grinding your teeth because he said your body is doing it as a mechanism to help you breathe. So if all of a sudden you wear like a night guard that's not allowing you to move your mouth anymore, that's going to cause breathing issues. So yes, get it figured out. Smart chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, and again, it, I look back on the hundreds of mouth guards I prescribed in, in the first eight years of my career. And I cringe like, Oh, why? But yeah, it's a bandaid and it will, it can and will make your TMJ problems worse. Um, a, a night guard, um, whether it's one you get at, you know, a drugstore, like kind of a, a boil and bite night guard or a very expensive custom made night guard that you get from a dentist, the goal is to protect you from grinding your enamel away. And it can do just that. It's a barrier so that your top and bottom teeth are unable to touch. And so it's successful in keeping you from grinding your enamel away, but it's never eliminating the root cause of why you're grinding and clenching and grinding is absolutely, um, a symptom of a compromised airway. So then also with the healthy startup plans, um, does that also help with shaping the jaw? So you have room for all your teeth. Cause I know that, um, oftentimes, and I don't know if dentists still do it as much, but when you have overcrowding, they want to pull teeth and do braces for years and years and years. Is the Healthy Start appliance something that could help prevent having that crowding issue later on? Yep, absolutely. And the sooner we get a child into this appliance, um, the the more sure I am that we'll be able to achieve some kind of expansion. Um, because the palate is very moldable. It's like Play-Doh. Um, it's really soft in a newborn. And then it starts to get a little bit harder as the child gets older. And I think it's by about age eight, that palate has reached about 80% hardness. So if we can get a child into one of these habit correctors, um, which has um, these two little lateral pads that the tongue, when the tongue goes to swallow at night, um, it's, it's pushing laterally on these pads. And our hope is that we can leverage the natural forces of the tongue and during swallowing to start expansion. Um, so it, it, it needs to happen early. The traditional model of orthodontics is wait until the baby teeth fall out, send to an orthodontist for braces. And what we're finding out is that's just way too late. 
we need to start orthodontics very, very early. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to know. I know I had braces. Um, thankfully my teeth weren't that crooked, but even then as an adult, they moved back to where they were. And then I did it. Yes. And yeah, it's, yeah just- it's never getting to the root cause. And um, just to rewind to your comment about taking teeth out and it just, it's so backwards to me that we are removing teeth and shrinking the jaw and causing all these airway issues. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So it's, I, I think it's like a very, very, very rare instance where it's absolutely necessary to pull, um, pull the premolars. They usually will recommend, um, pulling, um, one premolar from each quadrant to, to make space, but we can expand the jaw. And, and sometimes it is difficult, the older a child gets, and it is very hard in adults to expand, but if we can get to, you know, these three and four year olds, um, early enough, we can, we can get some pretty good results without having to remove teeth. Another question I have, which seems to be a little bit of a hot topic right now is root canals. And, um, I know a lot of people that have had root canals. I know that they're very common. Um, I have heard that they can contribute to other diseases throughout other areas in the body. Um, what's your stance on root canals? Do you support people getting them? Do you, are there other alternatives that you recommend? Yes. Um, hot topic that I don't have a definitive stance on yet. Um, I think I think the, the overall answer is it totally depends on the situation. Um, I think that there are times when, okay, so let me give you an example. Let's say we have a 16 year old who just got bumped in the face, um, and tooth cracked down, like we're missing half the tooth. And sometimes the nerve will become exposed. And if the nerve is exposed, that's generally when a dentist will recommend a root canal to, to fix the problem. Now it's a front tooth on a 16 year old. Am I going to recommend that that teenager remove that whole tooth and go gap tooth for like six months to a year before we can place an implant? Probably not. I'm probably going to actually recommend that we do a root canal in that situation. I'm going to recommend we do a root canal with a very trained specialist called an endodontist. Um, they will typically use a microscope so that they are so sure that they're removing, you know, every every bit of the nerve, any bacteria inside of the tooth. And they're, they're doing a really great job. Do I think that that's the last stop for that tooth? Probably not. Eventually that tooth is probably going to be lost, but, um, you know, there are certain instances like that where I say, yeah, you want to probably preserve your tooth there, um, and have it taken care of by a skilled provider. Um, I just don't know enough about, um, you know, the connection between root canals and cancers to really speak to that. But, um, my overall thought is if, if your tooth needs a root canal, if you get a root canal plan on not keeping that tooth for the rest of your life, because the chances that these root canal teeth get reinfected, are very, very, very high. And you could go back in and redo the root canal. Like that, that's where I say, let's draw the line there. Let's figure out a way to replace that tooth, retire that tooth and replace it. Um, And we are able to do that with um, dental implants or um, a dental bridge, you know, or some kind of removable device. There's lots of different options. You don't have to get a root canal. And even if 
I recommend you get a root canal because, hey, that's that's a good tooth and you're young and maybe we shouldn't remove it. You're the CEO of your own health and you get to make that decision and say, well, I don't feel comfortable with that and I'm, I'm electing to have this tooth removed. You can do that in my chair. And then uh, one thing I was kind of thinking about too, where it's not necessarily the root canal, but something similar is uh, sometimes I would also hear, which um, I'm kind of fascinated or it's something I wouldn't even think of is sometimes with teeth or like just the health of your mouth can also affect the rest of your body. Like for instance, you might have heart problems because of the effects of your mouth. And I kind of want to go into that a little bit more or what have you seen or maybe um, experienced being a dentist or noticed that correlation with things happening in the mouth and then um, kind of going throughout the rest of the body or maybe health changing because of things going on in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the link between, um, dental disease, oral disease and chronic disease is there and it's strong. Um, and it's all about inflammation. So we see a lot of diabetics, um, with just disintegrating bone levels in their mouth and, and bleeding really unhealthy gums. Um, and their body is just like in this chronic state of inflammation and they just can't, can never really get on top of it. And, um, if your body is like always trying to control something else, you know, like putting out another fire in your body, it's not going to be able to, to control what the, the bacteria that's going on in your mouth. And so, yeah, there's lots of studies that'll show very clear link, um, in autopsy reports, people who had, you know, heart disease, coronary artery disease, that bacteria found in their heart is the bacteria that we attempt to clean out um, when somebody has periodontal disease, gum disease. So you're swallowing all day long. Any bacteria that's in your mouth is traveling down your esophagus and it's being distributed to the rest of your body. The blood that is pumping from your heart and it's that's going down to your toes and up to your brain, you know, it, it stops and it flows through your, your mouth and your teeth too. And so, yeah, it, you can suffer a lot of health consequences if you have gum disease. Um, and it's just so preventable. I've even seen like on Instagram where you know, people post, post about like, if you have like disease and certain teeth, it correlates to certain areas in the body. Is there any validity to that? Again, I don't know yet. That's, um, that's something I've just been introduced to. Um, are you talking about like, kind of like thermal mapping? Uh, A little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not familiar with it and I, I don't know enough about it to say yes or no, but just, yeah, the link between your mouth and overall health is so strong. Um, we see women who have periodontal disease. I mean, they take on average, two months longer to conceive, um, you know, it just really speaks to its, its, its impact. One of the last questions I have for you is I always see, you know, people always want to have white teeth and there's all these different like advertisements about how to whiten your teeth. Do you have any recommendations for things that you can do naturally to keep white teeth or to whiten your teeth? Yeah, just really be aware of um, your diet. You know, I'm a coffee drinker and I'm not planning on partying with it anytime soon. But, you know, just be aware that if you're you're drinking several cups of strong coffee a day, that um, 
it's going to become absorbed in your teeth. And so you just, you think of your teeth as kind of like beautiful white carpet. And if it's going to stay in your white carpet, it's going to stay in your teeth. So um, make sure that you're just, you know, aware of the things that can stain teeth like red wine, tea, coffee, um, chocolates, and swish with water um, right afterwards. Actually don't brush right after you have something that could stain your teeth. Um, it's just going to make it worse. So just rinse with water right afterwards, wait about an hour to brush your teeth. Um, use a really good electric toothbrush. It's the best way to remove stain. And I've actually found that the hydroxy appetite toothpaste that I use makes my teeth brighter. Um, and I think it's because hydroxy appetite, unlike fluoride can actually penetrate past the enamel layer into the um, more yellow layer of your tooth called dentin. Um, so it can actually help get into that dentin layer and, and brighten and things up. Um, I'm not really a big fan of bleaches. I just, oh, I can't imagine putting those chemicals on my teeth. Um, so, you know, white teeth are great, but healthier teeth are better. So just be aware of your diet, um, good oral hygiene habits. Having your teeth cleaned by a hygienist um, every six months is, is probably the surest way to keep your teeth bright. And that's all I've got for you. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think they're all awesome recommendations. Don't uh, be fooled by um, all the, the whitening products on the shelves. Yeah. Short term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I know that too from, you know, trying them in, you know, my 20s and high school and everything. Oh, sure. Whiten, and then it's like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I need a whiten and it's been a week later. So, right? But that's, that's how they go, right? That's how they get you. Yeah. Um, my last question for you is, um, we've been asking a lot of people this question is, what does your ideal form of healthcare look like to you? One of our goals with our podcast is to explore different forms of maybe alternative or holistic health that's different than your mainstream Western medicine approaches. And so it's been really enlightening to hear from everybody that we've been interviewing as to what you see as an ideal form of healthcare and what that looks like. And so we'd love to hear your answer to that. In a perfect world, um, healthcare will be collaborative. Um, it will be health professionals coming together and working as a team um, for the very best health of their patients. Um, it'll be healthcare providers who are constantly learning um, and not closed off to new ideas, um, kind of keeping an open mind in this. Um, ideal healthcare will not be influenced by insurance companies, and it will be empowering to the patient, and the patient will be in control. They will be the CEO of their own health. Um, ideal healthcare puts diet and lifestyle at the very center and core. Um, yeah, that is my, that is my vision. I feel so peaceful after just saying that out loud. That felt really good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love what you said about each patient being the CEO of their own healthcare. I know, at least from my experiences, sometimes you go in and you feel maybe a little bit bullied if you don't yeah. want to go on recommendation. Yes. And so to feel 
like it's acceptable to make your own decisions and take the advice, but to get second and third opinions, if that's what mm -hmm. you want, um, mm -hmm. you're comfortable with. Um, I think, I think that's a huge component of it. I think we're getting there. Um, at least, you know, I've, um, I've been kind of following along with you guys and all of your guests are like close friends of mine. And, um, we get to have these discussions every time I see them. Like, I think, like, I think we're getting there. We're crossing this threshold. I think once people have a taste of functional healthcare, they're not going to go back. And I do think there's more people that want this type of care um, than, than we think. I think, I think the traditional model is still strong and most people are just kind of looking for like a quick fix or, you know, a pill, but you know, I, if I can be converted, I think just about anybody can. So we're getting there slowly, but surely. Yeah. And I think that's what Candace and I have learned from doing this podcast is that there is this really awesome network of functional holistic providers in Omaha that yes. I didn't know about, you know, a couple mm -hmm. months ago. I don't know about you. Well, I didn't know honestly anything. And then just even interviewing <laughs> you where I, I know Allison spoke more because she has a child, but I, when she was even talking about it, I was thinking watching her as a friend and she was struggling with um, George being colicky and being struggling to latch on and so I've been so used to hearing like well that's just normal mm -hmm. um, or yeah. she, which is like people thought I was crazy with the pacifiers I was like I did because I was like I'm a pacifier. <laughs> I don't know why and just also just each person we interview it's kind of interesting or I think funny how they're like yeah I know this person or I know you know mm -hmm. all know each other we but, found each other quickly and we and we like yeah. all latched on for dear life yeah, <laughs> so now I've laughed on you guys. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's even, I kind of, when I have been trying to talk to family a little bit more about it, or I'm more open because the same thing, I just always grew up like the normal thing of, I don't want to diss doctors, but like you would go to a doctor, you would hear things. And then it was never, we're not going to try something different. It's always, I'm going to mm -hmm. try what it's always been. Mm -hmm. And um, just talking with you or other uh, people that we've interviewed on the podcast, I'm fascinated. Like everyone almost is something similar, but in a beautiful way of like, let's look at nutrition. Let's look at lifestyle. Let's look at spirituality. Let's look at how you're managing stress. We're mm -hmm. not talked about in normal doctors. And even mm -hmm. with friends, they view that to me. They're, they're like, that's out there medicine. And then mm -hmm. and it's, like, it's voodoo, right? Yeah. Witchcraft. Yes. Which is just like, yeah. well, that's just kind of, to me, sad that that is seems so out there and ridiculous. And that's mm -hmm. why the more we interview it, I'm just, I get more fascinated, which each person, because I never knew any of this stuff was out there. Yeah. Hey, I, I was right there with you just like a few years ago. And, and like I said, it took it took the way things kind of unraveled in 2020 for me to, um, to question everything I knew about dentistry and about health in general. And you know what? It was really humbling to say I was very wrong about this. Um, but that was the moment I was able to, to learn just so much more and just to be able to provide the kind of care that people really deserve and feel good about. Like our practice is just such a happy place. People are so happy. And like, there isn't like that, that, that 
cloud of gloom that most patients used to come to me and like, everybody always said it like, Oh, I hate the dentist. And it's like, you know, that was always the intro with every patient. Um, (laughs) nice to meet you too. People love coming to see us because like, they know that they're in control. They know they're not going to feel pressured about anything or made to feel guilty. And that is how it should be with every provider you see. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I think we could keep talking all night. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I am so excited to release this episode. Oh, me too. Um, you know, I think there's so much great information and, you know, I'm so thankful that we have you here back in Omaha now and thank you and start seeing people in our community is, you know, and George be George's dentist. And (laughs) it's a revolution. It's happening, especially in Omaha, Nebraska of all places. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much guys. This was fun. It was a pleasure talking.